Lord, we thank you for your people and how they respond in love. And we know some will continue, but, but Lord, we pray that we would not overreach ourselves in this, in this project. Lord, we thank you and we pray that our aim is to, is to show Christ to the nations. And as we do, we pray you will bless the effort. We, we come to your word now again, and we once more, we pray for your help. Uh, as we look into another difficult part of your word that reminds us that we ought to be faithful. And we ask you would bless the word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Numbers chapter 21, Old Testament survey, number three from the book of Numbers. Text, verse eight of Numbers 21, uh, verse number eight of Numbers 21, where we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And I think this word in the Hebrew is a, 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 an, act, an action word. Um, it's just like what I was saying. It's an action word. Everyone that keep looking at this serpent would live, but it was a one-time look. But in the actual gospel context, it is a continuous look. And not to a serpent, but to the Lord Jesus. Um, now, the 38-year journey of the children of Israel is recorded in the book of Numbers. You know that it was 38 years. It was the second year of the sojourn that Moses was commanded to number the people. And there was a reason for that. There were two numberings, one at the beginning and one at the end, coming to the end of that journey. Chapter 21 records another famous but dreadful event. The bronze serpent in the wilderness which was an antidote to Israel's awful rebellion against God and against Moses. They complain about the diet, the manna, and you know what that is, and you know what that represents. They complain about the gospel, and the equivalent to the New Testament. They got tired of the gospel. Um, just to, to make it easy for you, the Lord Jesus authenticated this event when he explained to a ruler in Israel what it meant to us today, and he quickly grasped it. His eyes became open. He understood what this event meant when Jesus tell him, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. Guess who was at the cross claiming Jesus' body after he was lifted up? Nicodemus. He understood the typology. And I find that a lot of people still do not understand the Old Testament. It is part of believing on Christ when you understand these parables. Jesus authenticated this event. This shows the value of the scriptures, as I was saying this morning. They're not only historical, 
but they are spiritual examples according to 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 9. And let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. I am sure that the Apostle Paul had this event in mind. Jesus brought it back. Paul brought it back. All these occasions came about because of what God had decreed when he said that the generation 20 years and above would not see the promised land. When we normally do these surveys by considering selected observations from the context or the chapter, selected observations from the chapter. Second, we seek to show the relevancy of the history to the church today. What does it mean to us? Thirdly, we conclude with specific applications for more study to us today. We begin our study by looking at Israel's continued pilgrimage, verses 1 through 3. Israel's continued pilgrimage. We read, And when King Arad, the Canaanite, which dwell in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners or hostages. The Canaanite king remembered the 12 spies earlier, how they came and they left. Here in Numbers 21, he sought to thwart the advancement of Israel's camp, as though anybody can stop God from advancing with the gospel. Many people tried that, and they did not succeed. Many people tried to isolate the Jews, Hitler, and many more. They didn't work. There is a dispute with this name, Arad, it is commonly believed to be a city or a place in Canaan and not the name of the king. The king of Arad is listed or the place of Arad is listed as one of the conquered cities in Joshua 12 verse 14. If you want to turn there, you, you can turn there. We read there that the king of Hamath won, the king of Arad won. This was the king of Arad. Arad seems to be a place. The name is also mentioned in Judges 1 and verse 16. If you want to do your background work, you can check and see this Arad was most likely a place. The Canaanite king, his intentions was to fight against the people of God. Now, you know, in our pilgrimage, we will always have a king or the king of this age to battle. Apostle Peter gives the antidote saying, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. That's what Peter instructs Christians to do. Wherever we go in this life, in this world, there is a king to fight against us. The king might be in your home. So seek to thwart your advancement in the Christian life. You should beware. There's a king. The Lord's people in this context prayed, verse 2, and Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and say, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. Here we see is the people. It could be that one made this vow on behalf of, of Israel because the word is in the singular. Uh, and Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou will indeed, and it could be the whole nation uh, in, in, this, in this setting. Um, if thou will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. It seems to be singular, but we know the reason for this. Um, because Israel had an intercessor. But what we know is the Lord honored this vow. In verse 3, And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. Not the king, the Canaanites. And that's what they were called. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Homa. Now there's a lesson to consider in our earthly pilgrimage, in our earthly sojourn. Um, you and I would have tribulations. You and I would have testings. You, you and I would have setbacks, trials. Our sister Doris has broken two bones in her hand. God knows what he's doing. He does all things well. I could not have done a better job. I probably would have broken it one place, but God broke it two places. And you should ponder this. There's also serious limitations when you have broken bones in your right hand. But we can have worse setbacks, like the children of Israel. But Paul reminds us what to do in these situations. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, Yes, everything by prayer and supplication. And he adds with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, not with grumbling, with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The problem with some today is that not everything in our lives are carried to the throne of grace. We talk a lot, we mouth off words, and too many things lodge in our minds and in our thoughts that are not really good. We murmur against God. People ask the question, and you go into a nursing home, and you go to look for people, and I, it can't seem to get out of their heads. I could not imagine the time that I would be here in this bed. 
I never thought that I would be here. Well, let me ask, well, who are you? Who, who are you? Who are we to say that? Come on, man. You don't say that. God is sovereign. And he has a reason for putting that king in your life and my life. I mean, that little king. Charlie, you know what we're talking about. The text says, And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. We should look up to the sky, to the ceiling, like these ones did. The Lord listened to the voice of Israel because they had an intercessor on their behalf, Christ. He is the one that God hears, not me and you. He hears his son when he cries for his elect. So this is my first heading, Israel's pilgrimage. There were obstacles in the way. There was a king who fought against them, Canaanite king of Arad. But there was one greater than he to whom they prayed to in their pilgrimage. That's a lesson. Point number two, having seen the pilgrimage of Israel, we see a pattern of behavior, a pattern of behavior. God's people had a pattern and how quickly they forgot the Lord's victory three verses earlier. We're told in verse four, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now this is a very tricky passage. They get discouraged because of the road they were traveling. But God didn't put this word here for, 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 for to fill up space. They get discouraged because of the way. You know, the way of salvation is a very tough way. It is not a smooth way. It's a rough path. Many can't make it. Many wouldn't make it. Many can't go on that way. They don't like that way. It's a narrow way. It's a way of trial. It's a way of tribulation. It's a way of testing. But it is a way of holiness. And we are told that these people was much discouraged because of the way. Haven't, haven't many people become discouraged when they hear you should honor God on the Lord's day? You should honor him at both services. You should be regular in your place when it comes to prayer. You should give to the Lord's word. That's the way that discourages people. That's the way here that discourages many people. They begin to complain. Let us understand the scriptures. And this is for our benefit when it is rightly exegeted. There was a pattern. Discouragement can produce Many wrong attitudes in our pilgrimage. And how quick can we forget the victories of the past like Israel did? And, the and, 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 and we often major on the present circumstances. This incident is the main objective in our survey. Now throughout Israel's sojourn, and I know some of you are reading the, New Te the Old Testament and bringing messages, 
whether it be Exodus or Judges, throughout Israel's sojourn, there was a pattern of behavior. One was discouragement, but the second major one was insubordination. They forgot quickly God's answer to prayer, to prayers, and how quick we can forget the sermon that was delivered last week. We hear many sermons, but sometimes we wonder if people are listening to the sermons. The sermons are meant for you. Everyone, they're meant for me, but they're meant for you very deliberately. And sometimes I look at people's faces in the study when I'm preparing the sermon. I, I visualize their faces. That's how you prepare messages. You think specifically of individuals in your church. They're for you. I heard Pastor Martin say that one time in the pastoral lecture. And I wonder, oh, oh, can you say that? He's right. The man of God that who is preparing messages, manna for the people of God, have when Marcel make the mashed potatoes, the English potatoes, she know I like them stiff. Don't give me them runny. She's preparing them for me. Oh, Brian like his, his potatoes firm. So Doris, if I come, don't give me no watery um, mashed potatoes. She knows that. And the man of God that prepares has everyone in mind. And when he doesn't see them, he says, oh, no. You think that being in your place is not important? It is for a shepherd. And people don't like the discipline of the church. God has ordained it thus. The church is a beautiful place for God's people. Um, Theophilus, Tyler, I, I'm glad to see you guys, you know, and I hope you understand these things. You know, I remember what Tyler said to me one day, you probably forgot, but I, it was an encouragement. He said to me, I said, um, Tyler, how do, you, how do you like the church? He said, I like the church, but I'm wondering what would happen when you go. That's what he said to me. You don't remember that, right? You remember that. You don't want me to talk about your secret. <laughs> but it was an encouragement from a young guy. But you don't have to worry about that. Let, let that be God's problem, not yours. All right? It's not a compliment to me, but and sometimes you interact with young people in the church to, to get feedback from them. And these are things you've got to be doing, deacons. Interact. We have feedback. But the, 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 this insubordination was, was, was a terrible thing throughout the sojourn of Israel. They forgot. Verse 5, and all and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. The manna. Notice these words carefully. There's no bread. There's no water. Well, God was providing these things for them. They wanted another gospel. 
That's what they wanted, like so many today. They were not satisfied with the simplicity of the gospel. They wanted the charismatic movement, the special music, the drums, the guitars. That's what they wanted. This church is too dull. This phrase appears in the book of Numbers numerous times. And the people spit against God and against Moses. Whenever there's this pattern of behavior among professing believers, it stems from a deeper problem with man. It's a deeper problem. And we know what the problem is. And as I said this morning, I would not argue anybody into the kingdom of God. I can't. It's impossible. But we know where the problem comes from. It comes from an unregenerate heart. Insubordination was King Saul's downfall. We, we don't know the people who spoke against God and against Moses. We don't know if there were audible, whether this speaking against God or Moses was audible it did not really matter. God heard that people are these people fool themselves that God doesn't hear when we speak quietly or when we think something. It has a way of getting to God. You may remember in Genesis 18 when Abraham received the promise that his wife Sarah would conceive and bear a son. Sarah laughed. And the Bible says Sarah laughed within herself. Remember that, Jackie? She, she laughed within herself. Who's he kidding? Oh, woman like me, yeah, child. That's what she said. God heard. Then God confronted her. As a matter of fact, God, God confronted her husband. And this is the right thing to do. And sometimes when you confront the husband of a wife in this church, instead of the husband making corrections, he go home and further exasperate the problem. Then his wife come to cuss you out. It has happened here already. It's not a spiritual man. He doesn't understand. The Bible says in Genesis 18 verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being an old man also, like Marcel said, me, I'm an old man. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, I surely bear a child since I am old? Can I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15 of Genesis 18, but Sarah denied it. She didn't laugh audibly, but inwardly. So she denied it. She lied, in other words, saying, I did not laugh 
for she was afraid. And this was not a bad reason. She had the fear of God. And God said, no, but you did laugh. In other words, don't argue with me. You laugh. Sarah was a child of God. But she was a little too pragmatic when it came to God's word. She not only laughed, she was sarcastic. She made a remark. But she manifested a godly fear when God questioned Abraham. And this is how we should respond when we are corrected. This is a godly woman. She didn't antagonize. She wasn't antagonized. She humbled herself. God was right. And he's always right. This is how a believer ought to respond to the word of God. Israel said in verse 5, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. You know, sometimes what we say, God gives to us. Sometimes what we say with our mouths, God gives to us. Why have you brought us up to die in this wilderness? Guess what happened? They all died in the wilderness. This is a sad, sad story of God's justice. It was the manner that they grew tired of. So, we saw Israel's pilgrimage. We saw a, par a, a, a pattern of behavior. Three, we see the peril of judgment. Verse six and seven. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and, and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. The Lord's people, by the way, were never serious about their confession of sin. It is very easy to say, I have sinned, or to admit guilt when we begin to see the effect of sin. It's very easy to say, I have sinned, forgive me. They said, we have spoken against the Lord and against you. But Israel did not mean this. They were sorry for the peril of judgment. People were dropping like flies in the wilderness. It was a sad sight. You may remember Pharaoh only saw the power of God when he woke up one morning and there was a corpse in every house. And many people are not serious about the peril of judgment. They're not serious. God is merciful. If he would reduce families, 
50%, you would see how quick fathers would be serious. We will be on our knees. Our church will be on our knees, beseeching God for our families. We're not serious. The same Moses there were murmuring against is the same person they resorted to for prayer and intercession. And that's why men of God should ever be praying for the people of God. We are reminded of Job's friends after their judgmental accusations against Job. Guess who God sent them to? To confess and for intercession. Guess, guess who God sent them to? To Job. Remember, I think it was Brother Pastor Warren Peel saying that he was speaking to this lady in his church and she said to him, you know, I listened to a beautiful sermon by John Piper. And he said to the pastor, hey, next time I will tell her, well, the next time you're in the hospital, call John Piper. Well, call him to come and look for you or to pray for you. You see him on the TV, right? Call, well, call him to pray for you. And a lot of us do not have any respect for the man that God has put to care for us. Never thank you. They came to Moses, pray for us. They knew the value of Moses' intercession. They knew he was a serious man. And they came to him. And Moses prayed. I quoted, I spoke about Job's friends, but I will read it to you. We read in Job 42, 7 and 8, where God said, And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, the big mouth one, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I'll accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Be careful when you speak against ministering servants. Be careful. These fiery serpents that came upon the Lord's people are a picture of the Lord Jesus. The word used is the same word where we get the word seraphim, Isaiah 6. The word is in the plural form. God sent seraphim, the one that Isaiah saw in his vision. 
God came into the camp of his people and began to afflict and inflict poison in their veins. Moses stood between the Lord and the people. And today the Lord Jesus stands in the camp in between God and us, pleading for us who are bitten by the devil. Sinners is who we are, Paul said. This is a fearful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he didn't stop there, of whom I'm chief. We have seen three heads. Pilgrimage of Israel, second, pattern of behavior, third, peril of judgment, finally, provision in the wilderness. Verses 8 and 9, provision in the wilderness. Verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Here is the word seraph again, fiery serpent. Make thee a fiery serpent, a replica of someone greater. Set it upon a pole. Whoever look will live. It was to be an act of faith and obedience to look. Wherever you were, you were to look at that pole. This dreadful situation in the wilderness has become a reminder to you and I today. This is a provision in our wilderness. It's no wonder that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. It is no wonder that Jesus fed the multitudes in the wilderness. Someone cited last Lord's day that the church has become a desert. And he's right. I believe he was led to say this because of what he is observing in our church. But let me say to us this evening that there is provision in this desert. If you don't see it, you are foolish. And we need to thank God that there is provision in this wilderness. I ain't wasting time here on this pulpit anymore. The gospel is being preached. And the problem is many are not listening to the gospel. But the gospel is herald. And God is pleased when the gospel is preached. May not be pleased with, with a lot of you. 
But praise God, the gospel is preached. And I will not be held accountable for your behavior. Whether you're here or whether you're home listening or whether you're on a hospital bed, I would not be held accountable. The gospel is herald. Notice our concluding verses, verses 10 and 11. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. And their journey from Oboth and pitch at Jerubim. Jerubim. I have it typed here, but I would have to look at it in verse 11. In verse 11 of the Bible here. And their journey from Oboth and pitch at Jerubim in the wilderness, which is before Moab, toward the sun rising. It was only after the score was settled in the wilderness. It was only after that score was settled that Israel was able to go forward. And it is only after matters are settled between you and God that you will advance in this life spiritually. You may be still stuck in the desert murmuring but you can only advance to heaven if the score is settled between you and God. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm not going to spell it out. If you have ears to hear, you would hear. You will be always going around in circles because the score has not been settled with God. You haven't looked. But there is provision in the wilderness to advance to the promised land these ones first they must look so this is our survey but let me end with a few footnotes today brethren we are in a pilgrimage i see this every day pilgrims have their eyes set on another city. There is a king who will thwart or endeavor to be faithful in advancing to that city. And I mentioned him this morning, if you were listening. Materialism. Idolatry. That's the king that is stopping some of you from going forward. Isaac said to me, uh, Pastor, I'm looking to come to the fellowship New Year's Eve. I said, yeah, good. When I see you, I'll believe. It shouldn't take one message to stir us. There are many messages. The Apostle Paul said this, since you are risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Set your affection on things above, not on this world. We are in a pilgrimage. Second, do you have a pattern of behavior in this pilgrimage? Do you have a pattern? No one will be around forever 
we, we, we shouldn't forget the Lord's goodness, his keeping over the years, his answers to prayer. Nothing is wrong with a pattern. We should have a pattern. We should have a pattern of good works, according to Titus 3. Titus was told to make sure that he show himself a pattern of good works. But too many of our brethren have a pattern of unfaithfulness. Occasional cameo appearances. No sustained efforts in prayer and regular fellowship. That's the pattern of sinful behavior. This is not a good pattern in the Christian life. In fact, you may not even be a Christian. You need to stop calling yourself a Christian because you're dishonoring the very name. It's not a good pattern. Our lives are measured by our pattern of behavior, especially in the church if you want to be a church member. You should observe the pattern of the person. Israel had a pattern, a bad one, and you may be still under parental authority and have a pattern of disobedience, pouting. I watch you children. I watch you. Don't think I don't watch you. I watch you carefully. You're giving your parents licks. You come here with a good face. It's a pattern. Be careful with that pattern. God hears us audibly and he hears us silently and he will respond as he responded in the desert. He's not going to strike nobody down with lightning. It doesn't work like that. But be careful that we too are not risking a dangerous peril. One of our children have left home out of rebellion. We pray for them. Yeah, I don't know if you heard about Joshua. He's the next on the list. Yeah. We pray for him. He broke Dion's heart. Marcel, I know you don't mind me saying this. Tears. And some of our children here ain't no different. Be careful. Just a while back, there was COVID. The Lord is not going to send serpents. He's going to work differently. It was COVID. Many are still doing church digitally. And people want this. They want an electronic pastor. No face-to-face -face confrontation. No accountability. A monitor. A mobile phone. A smartphone. That's their pastor. Nobody to confront them. Where were you? That's what we are living today. God has brought judgment to the very church. A brother said that this church is a desert. He's right. But there's provision in the desert. 
I don't know what is that. Oh, I, I, I gonna watch it on, on YouTube. That's not church. That's why they call it YouTube. Don't get into that, brother Deathball, please. But wonderfully, there's provision. Let us, let us be as those who are providing in this desert. As Moses lifted up serpent in the wilderness, even so must the sun be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see how Jesus brought it home to Nicodemus and to us? That's the picture. I'm the reality. I'm the substance. I, in a few days, will be lifted up. And if you believe in me, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. The book of Numbers has just as much gospel in it as any other book in the Bible. No wonder the writer in Hebrews say that the gospel was preached unto us as well it was preached unto them. But the word preach did not profit them. Let this not be said of us. May God bless you. Amen. Oh, Father, we thank you. Yet another Lord's Day, you have furnished us with your most holy word. We pray that we would benefit, that I would benefit from the study of your word, and that your people would benefit, that they would walk out of this place rejoicing because you have spoken to them and to us. We pray you will dismiss us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.